Daniel chapter 3, there's an insert in your bulletin somewhere in there with all the inserts about the uh, message this morning, that God is our God. Daniel chapter 3, and Brother Craig read the verses for us. I want you to look down with me, if you will, at verse number 15. Daniel chapter 3 and verse 15. It says, Now, if ye be ready, that at what time ye hear the sound of the cornet, flute, harp, sackbut, psaltery, dulcimer, and all kinds of music, you fall down and worship the image which I have made well. This is Nebuchadnezzar speaking. He said, But if you worship not, ye shall be cast the same hour into the midst of the burning fiery furnace. And who is that God? Underline those two words, that God, that shall deliver you out of my hand. Who is that God? You know, sometimes we have situations where people, they think about somebody that maybe they don't like so well, they don't care about, and they won't mention their name, but they'll say, you know, that man, or that woman. And that's kind of like Nebuchadnezzar, who is that God? that shall deliver you out of my hand. And then look at verse 16. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we are not careful to answer thee in this matter. If so be, underline these next two words, our God, whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace. That God, in verse 15, is our God, in verse number 17. That God is our God. Nebuchadnezzar knew something about the God of the Jewish people. Back in chapter 2, if you remember, he had a dream that he couldn't remember. And he said to the wise men, he said, hey, I've had this dream and I can't remember what the dream was, and I want you to tell me what the dream was and tell me what it means. And they all looked at him and they said, well, if you'll tell us what the dream was, then maybe we can tell you what the dream means. And of course, Nebuchadnezzar, he said, no, you got to tell me the dream because I forgot it. So if you tell me the dream, then tell me what it means. And, and he said, if you don't, they said to him, we can't do it. And he said, okay, I'm going to cut you in pieces and make your house a dunghill. That sort of sounds like in this chapter, that was Nebuchadnezzar's favorite way of torturing people. He said he would... He would cut them in pieces and make their house a dunghill. I don't know about you, but uh, after you've been cut in pieces, I'm not sure you really worry about what happens to your house, do you? But that's what he was going to do. And, and Daniel heard about this. He was one of the kind of the low-grade counselors at that time to the king. And he said to the king, why is this decree so hasty? Why are you so quick to destroy and to kill all of these, these men? And so Daniel went back and told his men to pray. And they did. And God revealed to, them, to Daniel what the dream was and what the interpretation was. And so Daniel went back in before Nebuchadnezzar, told him the dream, told him the interp interpretation of it. And that was an amazing thing. And the king said this. He said, I know that your God is a revealer of secrets. So Nebuchadnezzar knew a little bit about that God, didn't he? He knew that he was a revealer of secrets. There was one that Nebuchadnezzar regarded more highly than that God, and that was himself. And so Nebuchadnezzar, 
has, he had just had a successful military campaign against Israel and against Syria. And he's come back and his armies are victorious, his treasuries are full and running over. And he decides to set up this huge giant image out in the plain of Dora so that everybody could see it. And verse number one says that it was three score cubits high. Three score, that's 60. A cubit is about a foot and a half. So that, that image was about 90 feet high. That's a pretty high statue to put out in the middle of the plain where everybody could see it. It's about a, 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 it says six cubits wide, that's about nine feet wide. And so he says to all of the people, when you hear all of the music, you've got to bow down and worship this image. So I want you to notice several things with me this morning. First of all, notice the demand that is given. The demand, in verses 4 and 5, he says, And Herod cried aloud, To you it is commanded, O people, nations, and languages, that at what time you hear the sound of the cornet, flute, harp, sackbut, psaltery, dulcimer, and all kinds of music, ye fall down and worship the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar the king hath set up. The demand begins with an, an impressive extra, extravaganza. I mean, it is everybody has to come, and they, he's brought together everybody that is anybody. He's got all kinds of musicians, kind of sounds like some of the churches in our day today. And they've gathered around this huge 90-foot high statue. And he says, all right, when you hear the music, you bow down and worship. An impressive extravaganza. And then it was also an inclusive expectation. An exclusive expectation. In verse number 3, it says, Then the princes and governors and captains, the judges, the treasurers, the counselors, the sheriffs, and all the rulers of the provinces were gathered together under the dedication of the image that Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. So all of these people are come for this big dedication, and they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. So here's this great crowd of people, and they're all standing before this image. Look at verse number 6. And whosoever falleth not down and worshipeth, shall the same hour be cast into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. An inclusive expectation. Who has to bow down? Everybody. Everybody has to bow down. If you don't bow down, you're going to be thrown into a burning, fiery furnace. Now, I'm not sure how a furnace can be burning and not be fiery. But that's another issue. I don't think Nebuchadnezzar really expected any opposition. I think he thought everybody would do what he said and bow down. But you see, there were, there were at this time, the Jewish people were only, the only monotheistic religion that there was. Mono meaning one, theistic God. They were the only one God worshipers. All the other... Uh, Religions had many gods. Some of them had hundreds, some of them had thousands. And basically, Nebuchadnezzar was saying to them, you can have your gods, that's okay, but you've got to bow down to my God too. Nebuchadnezzar, in a sense, was saying, I appreciate your help, Daniel. I appreciate your God being able to interpret the dream and give me the, the dream itself that I had forgotten and, and yet, he said, you still have to worship my God too. The Roman Empire had done something similar to that centuries later. They said, you can have a statue of Jesus, and you can believe in Him, you can pray to Him, but every year you've got to take a pinch of salt, and you have to 
offer that to the, to the image of Caesar, and you have to acknowledge that Caesar is Lord. In other words, it's all right if you have other gods as long as you worship our God. And you know, one of the things we have to be careful about, in, in, in especially in missions work around the world, there are a lot of places where they worship a lot of gods. And sometimes it's almost like they say, okay, you can still worship all your gods, but we want you to know about the true God, and you worship our God too. And in, in, countries, in a number of countries, they've got their little statues and gods and images, and then they believe in Jesus, they say, and so they want to put him up there on the shelf with all the others and just add him to it. And that's kind of the idea here. Nebuchadnezzar says, you can have all your gods, but you've got to worship me. You've got to worship my God as well, the demand. And then secondly, notice the disobedience. In verse number 12, it says, there, was, there are certain Jews whom thou hast set over the affairs of the province of Babylon. In other words, they came to Nebuchadnezzar, and they said, there's, there's these certain Jews that you have put over the people. You've put them in charge over the affairs of the province of Babylon. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, these men, O king, have not regarded thee. They serve not thy gods, neither worship the golden image which thou hast set up. Now, Bible scholars tell us that at this time, in Nebuchadnezzar's day, there were approximately 10,000 Jewish people living in the land of Babylon. And only three of them did not bow down. That's not three out of a hundred, that would be three percent. That's not three out of a thousand, that would be 0.03 percent. But this was three out of 10,000, that's 0.003 percent did not bow down. You know, sometimes we hear people say, well, you know, our pastor's just a little bit narrow. I heard a preacher one time say, say, you're right, I'm narrow. He said, I'm just about this narrow. Amen. And we have to be careful because sometimes we, we hear people say, well, you know, your, your, your pastor is just a, a little bit narrow. And, and I don't know why he, he preaches so strong on some of these things, some of this stuff. You know, the majority doesn't agree with him. Don't forget, 9,997 of the Jews that were there were wrong. Amen? There's only three that stood. And so these Babylonian or Nebuchadnezzar's people from Babylon, Babylon they come and, and it's interesting, evidently Nebuchadnezzar didn't notice from all of this great crowd of people, he didn't notice that there was three that were not bowing down. By the way, nobody noticed it until they kept standing when everybody else bowed down. We sometimes get criticism by, for using the King James Bible. And some people say, well, you know, why don't you change? And I just want to say this. How come they didn't ask us that 43 years ago when we started our church? You see, what happened is we kept standing while everybody else was bowing down. These three, three Hebrews had not done anything different. They just kept on standing. But what, what really bothered these Chaldeans here was that these three were not going along with what they wanted. 
These three were not doing what they insisted upon. And, and, and that's what drives this world crazy. It's when you and I stand when everybody else is bowing. You see, a couple of years ago, back in 2020 and even in 2021, you could come to church, except during COVID. You can sing your songs, you can pray your prayers, as long as you still bow down to us. That's why Hillary Clinton, in her thankfully unsuccessful bid for presidency, said this. She said, when it comes to abortion, religious beliefs will have to change. No, we're not going to change, amen? We still believe abortion is murder. That's why Pete Buttigieg, when he ran for president, said, those churches that will not hire homosexuals will not be given tax-exempt status. I'm glad he wasn't elected our president, amen? They don't care what our Bible says. They don't care what your beliefs are. They don't care what your religious convictions are. As far as the world is concerned, we must bow down to their image. The disobedience. And then I want you to notice the defiance in verse 13. It says, Then Nebuchadnezzar, in his rage and fury... Let me ask you a question. Have you seen any rage and fury in those that don't like it when we don't bow down to their image? In their rage, in his rage and fury, commanded to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Then they brought these men before the king. Now, when we talk about the defiance, the three Hebrew children were not defiant, they just stood. When everybody else bowed down, they stood. They didn't wave any banners. They didn't paint anything out in the middle of the streets. They didn't kneel during the national anthem. No, it was the king that was defiant. And what we've seen go on in our world the last few years, it's the world that has been defiant, isn't it? When we take a stand for the Lord. Notice his defiance was prideful. Look at verse 14 and 15. Nebuchadnezzar spake and said unto them, Is it true, O Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego, do not ye serve my gods, nor worship the golden image which I have set up? Now, if ye be ready, in other words, if you're willing to bow down, that at what time ye hear the sound of the cornet, flute, harp, sackbut, psaltery, dulcimer, and all kinds of music, ye fall down and worship the image which I have made well. But if ye worship not, ye shall be cast in the same hour into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. And who is that God that shall deliver you out of my hands? His defiance was prideful. He said, you have to bow. I've put up this giant 90-foot image, and when the music sounds, you have to bow. His defiance was prideful. And then also notice his defiance was problematic. It was problematic. In the end of verse 15, he said to them, If ye worship not, ye shall be cast the same hour into the midst of the burning fiery furnace. And who is that God that shall deliver you out of my hand? His defiance, who's that God? Who's going to deliver you out of my hands? I'm greater than any God. And notice then also the declaration in verse 17. The three Hebrew children said to Nebuchadnezzar, If it be so, our God, 
whom, ye, whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace. And he will. He's able. Our God is able. The, the, the declaration that is given is a declaration of faith. They believe that their God was able. How many of you believe our God is able? Amen? He's able to deliver us. He's able to take care of whatever we face. And they said the same thing. Our God is able. They had faith in their God. It was also a declaration of fortitude. In verse number 18, they went on and said, But if not, be it known to thee, O king, that we will not serve thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. It was problematic because Nebuchadnezzar now makes it a contest between him, Nebuchadnezzar, and God. Who is that God? And they said, that God is our God. I mentioned this in Sunday school, and I want to say just a word about it once again. We today sometimes get the idea that we pray about something. Maybe it's a big need. Maybe it's a, a crisis, and we pray, and God doesn't answer our prayer, or He doesn't do it exactly like we thought. And oftentimes we begin to question God. Does God love me? Is there really a God? Does He really care? Does He really hear our prayers? That's not what these three Hebrew men did. They said, our God's able. We believe He, we have no doubt He can take care of us. But if He chooses not to, He's still God. Amen? He's still good. He's still in charge. See, just because God doesn't do it the way we think, or just because, and, and God's not a puppet that we pull the strings for, amen? He's God. He's sovereign. And so they said, if not, if God doesn't do it the way we thought, God is still right, amen? amen. I prayed it wouldn't snow this morning. I didn't get my prayer answered. It's okay with me. God is God. I'm not, amen? Amen. And he has a purpose, and he knows what he's doing, and I'm thankful for that. And that's nothing compared to a fiery furnace that they were about to go into. But they said, if not, our God's able to deliver us, but if he chooses not, if my loved one I'm praying for does die, or if God doesn't heal my child, or God doesn't heal my husband, or God doesn't supply that job, he's still God. I'm still going to stand. I'm still going to follow him. Declaration of fortitude. I like the stories in the Bible that give the victory that God's people have. I love them. I like the story of David killing Goliath. Amen? I like Daniel and the lion's den. I like the sun standing still for Joshua winning the victory. I love 185,000 Syrians waking up dead. And that's what it says in the Bible. It says when they woke up in the morning, they were all dead corpses. It's bad to wake up dead, isn't it? <laughs> I don't want that to happen. But if not, I love Hebrews chapter 11. It says in verse 33, who through faith subdued kingdoms, wrought righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fires, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, waxed valiant in fight, turned to flight the armies of the aliens, Women received their dead, raised to life again. And then it has two words in there. It says, and others. And others were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. 
And again it says, and others, in verse 36, and others had trial of cruel mockings and scourgings, yea, moreover of bonds and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn asunder, they were tempted, they were slain with the sword, they wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, but being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and in mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. And these all having obtained a good report, through faith, received not the promise. You see, it wasn't that they had failed God. It wasn't that they had sin in their life. But for some reason, God chose that some of them didn't get the victory. And God says the world was not worthy of those folks. And He says, these all, having obtained a good report through faith, received not the promise. Sometimes we see God deliver in great and mighty and wonderful ways. Sometimes we see Him take us away from the fire, but sometimes He takes us through the fire. But God's always good, and God's always right. And we are to always stand up for our God. You see, they said, King Nebuchadnezzar, you know a little bit about our God, but you don't know our God. You don't know our God. You know that He can interpret a dream, but you're about to see that He can do a whole lot more than that. Our God is the God that parted the Red Sea and all the armies of Israel went across on dry land. Our God's the one who then brought the water upon Pharaoh and his armies and drowned them. Our God sustained millions, uh, a million and two hundred thousand Jews Adults for 40 years across the wilderness, fed them, cared for them. Our God made the sun stand still in the valley of Elah. Our God spoke the world into existence. You don't really know our God, King Nebuchadnezzar. That God you don't know exists. That God that you think is nowhere, that God that you think is incapable of delivering anybody from your fiery furnace, that God is our God. And so to our increasingly secular society and to the smug and self-satisfied journalists that look down their noses at anyone who dares to believe the Bible is the inspired, infallible Word of God, I say to those delusional people that that God is our God. And then I want you to notice the deliverance. Look at verse 19. Then was Nebuchadnezzar full of fury. Boy, these folks can get fired up, can't they? And we don't bow down to their gods. He's full of fury. And the form of his visage was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Remember, after Daniel interpreted the dream, they had favor and he lifted them up to positions of leadership. Now, his visage, his attitude, his spirit is changed against them. Therefore he spake and commanded that they should heat the furnace one seven times more than it was wont to be heated. Seven times more than it should have been heated. It was so hot, you remember, that the people that threw them in died. In fact, he says in verse 20, he commanded the most mighty men that were in his army. He got the strongest, the best to throw them in, and those guys died. They were burned up by the fire, that furnace that was heated up so hot. But what happened? 
when they were thrown in. First of all, they got freedom. They got freedom. Look at verse number 24. Then Nebuchadnezzar, the king, was astonished and rose up in haste and spake and said unto his counselors, Did not we cast three men bound into the midst of the fire? They answered and said unto the king, True, O king. He answered and said unto them, Lo, I see four men loose walking in the midst of the fire, and they have no hurt, and the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. They are bound when they're thrown into the fiery furnace, and the only thing that burns is the bonds that bound them. How about that? You know, God doesn't always do things our way. Amen? We would like God to have not had them ever be thrown into the fiery furnace. But God doesn't do things our way. His ways, the Bible says, are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. I would say the best way to have revival in our, our world would be to have absolute freedom for the gospel to be preached everywhere and in every place and every possible means. But do you know that we're told that there are three to four million Christians, there were three to four million Christians in China when the communists took over. Then Chiang Kai-shek and his government were deposed. And now they tell us that there may be as many as 80 to 90 million Christians in China right now. They think that in the next few years, they could be as many as 100 million Christians in China. Now, not by percentage, but by number, China would become the most Christian nation in the world. That's under communism. That's meeting in secret. I had the privilege a few years ago of going to China. I went to an underground service. It was, it was on a Wednesday evening in, a, in an apartment building. There were no lights outside. It was dark. We went in. We went up to this little apartment. There was probably 50 people jammed into that, and we had our service. And we left there, and we went to a hotel where one of the couples in our group had, had rented a suite there, and they had a baptismal service. In China, when folks get saved, they don't call them believers or new Christians or converts. They call them new friends. And they say, these are our new friends. And we met many of their new friends. And then they had the baptismal service in that suite in the hotel. And they call it a washing. We're going to have a washing tonight. And they came and they used the bathtub. I had the privilege of baptizing two people in a bathtub in China. They put the water in. They laid down with their knees up. They're fully clothed. We leaned them back in the water. We pulled them, pulled them and they were baptized. I'm talking about China may soon have a hundred million Christians in a communist country. You can't stop the government. The, you can't stop the gospel by government. Our churches started out in secret. Our founders met in catacombs, if you read church history. Our leaders met in little houses. They fled when they came to America from another country to come here for religious freedom. And I want to tell you, and myself as well, we may see the fire get pretty hot. But God may only use it to burn our bonds. 
to set us free to get the gospel out. And then notice they had fellowship in verse 25. It says, He answered and said, Lo, I see four. And they have no hurt. And the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. What an amazing thing. These three men are bound and thrown into the fiery furnace. And now they're not bound. They're walking about. And there's a fourth one there. Their coats didn't burn. Their hats didn't burn. Their garments didn't burn. The bonds burned. But now they're free in the fire. And Jesus is with them. Can I remind you that Jesus is always with us? We read the verses in Sunday school in Hebrews. He said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. He's with us all the time. But I believe we appreciate His presence a whole lot more when we're in the middle of the fire, don't we? And He's with us. Then notice also they're given favor in verses 28 and 29. Then Shadrach or then Nebuchadnezzar spake and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who hath sent his angel and delivered his servants that trusted in him and have changed the king's word and yielded their bodies that they might not serve nor worship any god except their own god. Therefore I make a decree that every people, nation, and language which speak anything amiss against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be cut in pieces And here it is again, their houses shall be made a dunghill because there's no other God that can deliver after this sort. They're given favor. Their God's the true God. Anybody who doesn't, who says anything bad about their God, he's going to be destroyed. And then notice also in verse 30, they got promoted. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. You see, We really don't need to focus on all that's going on in our society around us. We just need to get our focus on our God. That God is our God. They're very disdainful. They say, who is that God? But our message is that God is our God. Would you say that with me? That God is our God. Who is that God who will stop the LGBTQ people from shutting the churches of Jesus Christ down? Who is that God that will try or that will will help us so that we can reach people when they try to shut down the churches around us? Who is that God who's going to keep us safe when the fires rage, rage around us? Who is that God who will provide for our needs? Who is that God who will protect us? Who is that God who is more powerful than the king? Who is that God that is present with you and me in our trial? I'll tell you who that God is. That God is our God. Amen. Our society knows a little bit about God, but they don't know God. They don't know how He comforts us in our hours of deepest despair. They don't know how He never leaves us nor forsakes us. They don't know how His Word encourages us in those daily quiet times with Him. They don't know the absolute limitless power that our God possesses. The authority that is His. His sovereign control over all the events of the universe. The Bible says He was before all things, speaking about the Lord Jesus Christ, and by Him all things consist. That word consist means holds together. He holds all things together. 
scientists kind of amuse us sometimes. We've been amused through the COVID cycle with following the science, haven't we? Don't give them too much credit, but every once in a while they catch up with the Bible, don't they? They used to think that they could number the stars, and one scientist years ago said, well, there are 770 stars. And then after a while, another one came along and he said, there's, no, there's 1,004 stars. But the Bible says you can't number the stars. And then they invented the telescope, and they said, oops. <laughs> they used to say the world was flat. They told Columbus, don't go too far, you'll fall off the edge. But the Bible says, it is he that sitteth on the circle of the earth. And after a while, they caught up with the word of God, didn't they? They used to think that the earth had to rest on something. The concept of something hanging on gravitational force in space was foreign to them. Some thought the earth had to rest on something. One, one group thought that the earth rested on a giant turtle. Dr. Harry James was talking one night, and a lady said, Dr. James, you think the earth hung in space, but the earth rests on the back of a giant turtle. He thought he'd kind of let her down gently, and so he said, and what does that turtle rest on? And she said, another bigger turtle. And he said, what does that other bigger turtle rest on? And she said, another bigger turtle. And he said, well, what does that turtle rest on? And she very smugly said, it's no use, Dr. James, it's turtles all the way down, she said. <laughs> down to what? The Bible says, he hangeth the earth upon nothing. Scientists recently discovered that there's not just neutron and proton and electron in atmosphere. They discovered, I think it's called the Hodge-Boson particle. And they said it holds everything together. And the scientists call it the God particle. Give them a little chance, and once in a while they catch up with the Bible, don't they? It is our God who stooped down and took the dust of the earth and formed man in his own image. It is our God that holds everything together. That God is our God. That God that got Peter and James out of jail and had them preaching at the same spot the next day, that God is our God. That God that guided the sling from the little shepherd boy to put the stone on the exact unprotected spot in the Philistine giant's armor and killed Goliath, that God is our God. That God who used 300 unarmed, untrained Israelites to defeat 135,000 Midianites, that God is our God. That God that killed 185,000 Syrians when they were asleep, that God is our God. That God who took Daniel and protected him overnight in the den of hungry lions, lions that were so hungry when they threw those people that tried to put, that put Daniel in there, when they threw them in the next day, they were snapped up and eaten before they ever hit the ground. And by the way, that God's still able to take care of the rats that nibble at you and me, the bureaucrat, bureaucrats of our day, just as he was the bureaucrats in Daniel's day. That God is our God. John G. Patton went to the New Hebrides Islands in November of 1858. An older Christian said to him, said, Mr. Patton, he said, 
don't go there. They're all cannibals. And they were. He said, your body will be eaten by cannibals. Mr. Patton said, Mr. Dixon, you're an elderly man, and pretty soon your body's going to be eaten by worms. It matters not to me whether my body is eaten by cannibals or worms. I shall have just as much a glorified body as a resurrection at the resurrection as you shall have. And he went. And it was tough. And they were cannibals. They tried to kill him on numerous, numerous occasions. He had a son that was born on February the 12th. And 19 days later, his wife died. And 17 days after that, his son died. John G. Patton said he had to sleep on their graves to keep the cannibals from digging them up to eat them. One time there was a vicious chief with many warriors that came and surrounded Mr. Patton's hut. He knew they were going to try to kill him and eat him, but he, never, he, he, he said that night they never bothered him. They never attacked his hut. They didn't touch him. And about a year later, the chief had gotten saved. And he was living for God. And Mr. Patton went to him and he said, Hey, he said, that night when you came by my hut and you surrounded our hut with all of these warriors, why didn't you attack me? And the man said, I couldn't. He said, there were a hundred soldiers with sharp swords surrounding your hut. The Bible says, The angel of the Lord encampeth round about them that fear him and delivereth them. And Patton was there on the island long enough to see many come to know Christ as their Savior, and the New Hebrides to become a Bible-believing place. Charles Darwin wrote in his journal, he said this, when he came to the New Hebrides Islands, he said, when I observe these islands, he said, I do not believe in God, but if I were to believe in God, I would because of what I've seen in the New Hebrides Islands. For you see, when Patton went there, they were all cannibals and not a single Christian. When Patton died, they were all Christians and not a single cannibal. That God is our God. Who is that God, the sovereign, scoffed in anger, scorn, and rage? that can remove you from the fire, your pain and hurt assuage? Who is that God that can deliver three unbowing men, release their bonds, protect from burning, and set them free again? Your God reveals my dreams and makes you strong and wise, it's true. But I'm the king and there are things I know your God can't do. My furnace burns at several seven times its necessary heat. No God can save you from its flames or my decreed defeat. Who is that God, you ask, O king, a sneer upon your face, your anger poured on all who your command do not embrace? Who is that God, you ask, your face contorted by your rage? Why, I'm the greatest man on earth, a ruler at my age. I've conquered kingdoms, built great cities, ruled my world, and now you all must worship as I bid you to my image bow. What God exceeds my might and power, name him if you will. For when it's over, you'll be dead and I'll be sovereign still. The answer from God's children came without a second thought. No agonizing worries of the flames so fierce and hot. So pleading, no negotiating, no remorse or tear. The answer to your question is, our God we love and fear. Our God is able, powerful, and sovereign over all. 
He'll help us. He'll deliver us as on His name we call. Your furnace so consuming and your image all so high are nothing to the King of kings who hears our very cry. That God is our God. You'll see just what our God can do. He'll help us. He'll deliver us. He'll always see us through. That God is our God. And He is the only God, you see. He promises His children perfect peace and victory. So in the fire, three Hebrew children, clothed and bound, were thrown. The power of the potentate would soon to all be known. The king, in smug self-confidence, would sit and watch them burn. And all the earth to him would then in fear and reverence turn. The flame so hot, the keepers died while casting in the three. Yet not a hair was singed. They were all safe as they could be. Their clothing unaffected, no alarm and no despond. The only thing that burned on those three children was their bond. But wait, the king's advisors had a startling report. They strained to see with whom these unbound men do now consort. There are four men, the king declares, who in the furnace trod, and the fourth man, he looks exactly like the Son of God. Their bodies were protected, neither thread nor hair was singed. They never ran, they showed no fear, they never even twinged. The better than deliverance from fury, heat, and flame, the fact that God who rescued them within their presence came. So when the critics mock your faith and freedom try to take, Remember, they're repeating the vain potentate's mistake. Another petty tyrant with another brass decree. Another prideful ruler saying we must bend the knee. Another unbeliever thinking they are in control. Another who would bind our bodies and command our soul. Another who dares to challenge our great deity. Another who demands that subject to them we must be. It's just another chance for God's protection to be shown. Another opportunity to make His power known. Another illustration of deliverance and love bestowed upon His children by our gracious God above. That God is our God. He created and controls the world. He laughs when petty challenges by men at Him are hurled. He sits up in the heaven doing all He does desire and comes to help His children and walk with them through the fire. So let the heathen thunder, let them threaten to destroy, let them every power in this world try to employ, but hold this truth fast in your heart as you walk on earth's sod. That God who can deliver us has always been our God. Would you say it with me one more time? That God is our God. Let's pray together. Father... We thank You that we serve the true and the living God. We thank You that regardless of what men may say or try to do, You are the almighty and all-powerful God. I thank You for the day when as a little boy I bowed my knee and trusted You as my Lord and Savior and acknowledged that that God is my God. And I pray if there's one person here today that has never trusted in the true and the living God, today they would say, I want that God to be my God. Would you help them to open their heart and life to you? And for those of us who may be struggling through some difficult, maybe even fiery trials, may we remember that there's a fourth one in there. 
the Son of God. Lord, I pray you'll help us to look to you and trust you. And when all the world around us bows down, may we still stand and trust in our God. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.